What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul podcast. It is your host, Chris Boutte, and today I have a very special guest, Mike Rothschild. So he just released a brand new book on QAnon. It's called Q, The Storm is Upon Us. So uh, for those of you who loyally follow the podcast, which I know all of you do, a couple weeks ago I had uh, the psychologist um, Sophia Moskalenko on here uh, because they wrote a book about like the psychology behind QAnon. Well, Mike recently came out with a book, and Mike is a journalist who has been researching QAnon and everything going on with it since pretty much the beginning. Uh, like a lot of us, you know, when he first heard about it, he's like, what is going on? So he wrote this book, and let me tell you, let me tell you, I've been following it as well, and I'm like, I know everything there is to know about QAnon, and what is this book gonna tell me that I don't already know? That's kind of why I get into books about, you know, the psychology and everything like that. But let me tell you, Mike, told me and <laughs> everybody else who reads this book about a bunch of stuff that I didn't even know was going down. But anyways, uh, we, we have this great conversation about QAnon and his overall goal is to demystify it, right? And a lot of us have loved ones who have kind of fallen down the QAnon rabbit hole. And we talk about some very interesting things like, is QAnon still a problem with Donald Trump out of office and, you know, social media platforms cracking down? Uh, we also talk about what social media platforms can be doing better. We talk about why people get sucked into QAnon and is it dangerous? Where's the line between what people should be able to talk about in regards to free speech and when it turns into action, like the January 6th insurrection? Like we dive into a lot of really interesting subjects and it was really cool hearing Mike's perspective on this stuff because he's he's so deep in it and he's done so much research. He's a very cool guy. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation uh, and make sure if you enjoy this conversation, make sure you follow Mike and get a copy of this book. It will be linked down in the description below. And also down in the description below is my social media. I'm doing a lot of cool stuff, so follow me at The Rewired Soul on Instagram and Twitter. I love chatting with all of you, and you can hear about all the new stuff I got going on and in the works and upcoming guests and all my books that I'm reading and all that stuff. So make sure you're following me as well. All right, but anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Mike Rothschild about his brand new book, Q, The Storm Is Upon Us. So, hello, Mike. How you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am amazing. And and yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, your brand new book uh, about QAnon. Um, so so here's something that I, I've been thinking about. Like I, I don't I don't know how many people realize how much like work and effort goes into a book. So <laughs> sometimes, like I'm, I'm really curious, like. Why, why did you choose to write about this? Like what motivated you? What kept you going throughout this process? Like, why did you want to write this? And, and who are you trying to get this book out to? Who's your target audience? Sure. So I've been writing about and, and researching conspiracy theories and scams and, and mm. frauds and things for quite a while. And um, it was about January 2018 when I started seeing tweets about QAnon. And it, they were these pictures of John McCain and Hillary Clinton wearing oh, yeah. 
wearing orthopedic walking boots, uh, supposedly to hide their secret ankle bracelets because they'd been arrested <laughs> in the storm. And I was like, this is like a fully formed mythology that just came out of nowhere, I thought. And I, you know, I decided I was going to sort of watch it and see where it went. And then I got really concerned because it, I noticed mm. that it started to have some, some pretty apparent similarities to these long-running scams that I've written about. Mm. Uh, these things I talk about in the book, Nasara and the Iraqi dinar, these things that had built a lot of people out of millions of dollars yeah. pr by promising this great payoff with this uh, guru dispensing secret intel. And the difference and the, the thing that really concerned me was that QAnon wasn't a, a financial instrument. It was promising the good feelings that you would have when your enemies were brought to justice. Mm. And that that was really terrifying to me. So yeah. that's why I, I decided to really bear down on this. And writing it as a book, I felt like would be a way to reach people who weren't on Twitter, which is most people mm -hmm. who aren't reading, you know, conspiracy theory, debunking blogs or posts or watching those kinds of videos because yeah. That's just not most people. That, that's not the kind of thing that pops up for most people. So mm -hmm. what I really wanted to do was put the whole story of QAnon in context. You know, not, not who started it, because I don't really think that matters. And we can talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. But where it came from, uh, sort of what, what the component parts are. And to strip away the veneer of social media and the, the seeming newness on all of it. And reveal that these component parts are actually very old. And mm. that by getting down to the basics of it, you demystify it. You, you take away its, its specialness and its power, and you reveal it as just kind of another iteration of a very old conspiracy scam that's gone around for a long time. So I wanted to kind of put everything together, demystify it, and get it out to people who maybe know what QAnon is from a news article, or maybe they saw a video mm -hmm. about it, but they don't really understand it. And they think it's just a bunch of crazy people screaming and, you know, wearing homemade t-shirts and, you know, waving signs, which it is also that, yeah. but it's also a lot more than that. So I wanted to really get it out to the sort of non-traditional, non-tech, non-social media savvy audience. And, and I felt like a book was really the best way to do that. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and yeah, people from my audience know, like I, I, I typically read books where I'm just like, cause I, I love, I just love to learn and everything. Yeah. And I've been following the QAnon conspiracies and stuff like that, probably about, you know, maybe since 2019, uh, something around there. And I'm like, Oh God, is this going to be another book? Just telling me what QAnon is. And, you know, I, I, I know, but like, yeah. Uh, and, and I think, you know, as someone who's read your book, you did an excellent job, like reaching that goal. Like you, you broke it down and it wasn't, it, it didn't seem like, you know, this repetitive stuff that we hear on the news or, you know, read about and things like that. So like, I, I personally really enjoyed it, even though that's typically not even my type of book. No, thank um, you. Yeah. And, and so, so do you think, and, and we have evidence of this, uh, like January 6th, but do you think like part of your concern is that QAnon would move people toward to action or is it more like you mentioned, like uh, you've covered other uh, groups that have kind of scammed people or is it kind of both? Like, do you, do you see QAnon having more power like to, to get people to actually do stuff? Yeah, I do. That was one of the things that really concerned me about it was the participatory element. Mm. Uh, with most conspiracy theories, you are the victim. You are reading a book about 
the great string pullers and the, <clears throat> excuse me, mm -hmm. you're reading a book about the great string pullers and the, you know, the, the octopus at the top of the pyramid who's controlling everything, but you can't do anything about it. You, you're just sort of, you're the victim and, and you're going to get crushed by it. And at least, well, now, you know, mm -hmm. but with QAnon, you get to play a part in fighting back against yeah. the cabal. You get to make memes, you get to make videos, you get to red pill your friends, you decode the, the Q posts. You, you are a digital soldier, to use that phrase that Michael Flynn came up with right after yeah. the 2016 election. And that was the thing about QAnon that was very different to me. It's not that it was this sort of all powerful string puller thing, it was that you had a way to fight back. And yeah. that, was, that was the one thing in QAnon that really was new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and like you, what you kind of touched on too, like uh, me being a psychology nerd, and uh, you br you bring it up in the book, um, the gamification of it, right? Like like putting out these like little cute uh, clues and puzzles for people to solve, and and I wonder if that's like getting people hooked and gives them something to actually do rather than just kind of uh, spread the information. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting, the, the idea of gamification, you know, there's a lot of debate in the disinfo world, like, is QAnon an alternate reality game? Is, mm -hmm. it, is it not a game? I tend to move away from that simply because the, the puzzles and, and the riddles that Q offers are actually really simplistic and don't <laughs> actually have solutions. Like, there's no, it's, to me at least, it's not so much a game because there's no ending to it. There's, there's no, like, next stage it's mm -hmm. just the same thing over and over again and it's it's riddles that don't actually have solutions they're just sort of blobs of words and codes and prompts and mm -hmm. you bring your own meaning to them and so you could put the same block of text in front of a hundred q believers and you're going to get a hundred different interpretations of it but there mm -hmm. is a, a, a great deal of as I see it, busy work in a conspiracy mm. theory like QAnon. Like there's always a new thing to fuss over. There's a new world event. There's a new battle in the silent secret war between good and evil. And that can be, you know, a plane crash. That can be a CEO resignation. That can be a, you know, supposed uh, subliminal message in a piece mm -hmm. of entertainment. There's always a new one every day. None of it ever goes anywhere. None of it adds up to anything, mm -hmm. but there is always more to do to make you think that you are part of this world. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, Sofia Moskalenko on here because they just did a book on yes. uh, kind of the psychology too. And like something that you discuss and they discuss in their book is the work of like Leon Festinger and his his amazing, insane book, uh, When Prophecy yeah. Fails, right? And in your book, like towards the end, I, I loved it because uh, something that that I haven't seen many people do is you broke down like a bunch of Q drops, right? And some of these like prophecies and predictions and you explain how, how like none of them yeah. have come to fruition. And I'm curious, like with all the research that you've done, like, uh, you know, I, I know that cognitive dissonance is is playing a role, but why do you think it is where, you know, people are making their own meanings for these blobs of text and like, uh, you know, these these predictions don't come true? And what why do you think these people keep moving forward? Is it more of like they're part of a group? It's part of their identity now? Or like, what do you think it is? Yeah, it's all of those things. It is definitely part of their identity. 
it is a community that they've found. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the, the appeals of, of mass movements like QAnon is that it's not just, you know, it's going to be awesome when Hillary gets hanged. <laughs> it's 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 going to be awesome when Hillary gets hanged and we're going to watch it together because we did it together. Mm. That's one of the things that drove QAnon so much during the pandemic, I think, was that sense of community, that sense of togetherness, that sense of here's a group of people who are all going through the same thing and are all processing it in the same way. You know, we were all so isolated and so cut off from our support systems. Mm -hmm. And these people, far from being cut off from a support system, found a new support system. And so that that idea of togetherness, I think, really outweighs any individual drop not coming to fruition or any one of these vague cryptic predictions fizzling out. I mean, that's the the, the good feelings you get from uh, you know a long Twitter thread or a video that you can share with friends that totally outweighs you know any sort of cryptic nonsense that Q puts out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's something I've, I've been thinking about a lot, just especially with like, you know, political polarization and everything that that kind of group identity, because I, I don't think the average person because it's easy to look at like, hey, hey how do people believe in this QAnon nonsense, but I, I think that we forget that for someone to just say, oh, oh, okay, so uh, this didn't come true, like, you're also saying that the group I'm with is wrong about things, right? And that can that can mean friends, that can mean, you know, family members, if you guys, like, there's couples who are into this. And, uh, and yeah, so, like, I've, I've been trying to understand or, you know, think of solutions for kind of how, how we, you know, get people out when so much of the, so many of their social ties are within those groups. And, and you, you discuss that in the book, some, like, different ways uh, that, you know, we can kind of intervene. But, I, I've been wanting to ask you this too, uh, with you know the correspondence that you get. Have you have you like converted anybody, or has anybody read your stuff and been like, "Whoa, you know, you make sense," and I'm gonna not do this anymore? Um, one person I know of has has read mm. something I wrote and helped use it to get out of QAnon. Now there might be more. I hope there are more, but mm. only one who has come to me and told me that. What I, what I get much more of are people who have loved ones and, and family members who are sucked into this and they're looking for some way to understand it because mm -hmm. it is so big and it's so hard to wrap your head around. Like, why would anybody believe this crazy stuff? Why would anybody make this into their life and mm. push away their friends, their family, their hobbies, the things that they, they used to love to do that brought them joy? and exchange those for this sort of miserable, violent conspiracy world. And that, that's what I get much more of. And that's mm. one of the things that I really wanted to achieve with the book was putting all of that together and giving people a framework for understanding why this took off and, and what about it is so compelling. Yeah. No, it's interesting that you put it like that as well, because, uh, you know, um, my, my, uh, you know, my history comes from addiction recovery. And one of the reasons that I've written some of the stuff that I have is for the family members, because kind of like what you're saying, like, people don't understand how, you know, uh, someone could be completely consumed by like drugs or alcohol and neglect, sure. like, you know, their kids or, you know, their work or whatever. And, and, but we see that same kind of human tendency with, you know, things like conspiracy theories. And it's like, why? And do you think, do you think just uh, these family members uh, who have reached out to you or loved ones, like, is it, 
is understanding some of this, uh, does that bring them some comfort or does it make them more frustrated? Like what are the benefits to like understanding what's going on? I think it's, it's, you know, the basic idea of kind of what happened here and absolving yourself of blame. I mean, it's mm. the, the QAnon is, is not something you just kind of wake up one day and decide you believe in. It is a, it's a, it's a rung on a ladder of conspiracy theories. Almost nobody comes to QAnon as their first conspiracy theory. It's always mm. something else. It's, 9-11 truth, it's uh, birtherism, it's um, anti-vaccine and, you know, health freedom conspiracy theories, it's Trump spygate stuff, you know, there, you, you find QAnon through other things, and those things were probably there for years or decades before that. And the other thing I wanted to do in the, in the chapter about sort of why people believe conspiracy theories in general is reiterate mm -hmm. that you don't have to be crazy to believe a conspiracy theory. In <laughs> right. fact, you probably aren't if you believe a conspiracy theory. It is your brain doing what evolution has trained it to do, which is see danger in unknown actions. So you, you, know, you see a, a, you know, a shrub rustling in the wind and your brain is saying, well, maybe that's a panther, so I need to, I need to run. Yeah. And maybe it is a panther, but it's probably not. It's probably just the wind. Yeah. So that's, that's your brain keeping you safe. And conspiracy theories really serve that function. They, they bring order to chaos and they provide answers to difficult questions. Now, so often they're the wrong answer, but yeah. even just having an answer is comforting. So I really wanted to let people know that conspiracy theory belief is not a, is, is not a sign that you are insane. It's, yeah. a, it's a sign that you are processing information really in the way that you're supposed to process it. It's just that many people in that world just take it too far and can't separate what they believe to be true from what is true. Mm, yeah, and and yeah. So uh, at the time of recording this yesterday, I just had an episode with uh, uh, Andy Norman, who who wrote a book, uh, Mental Immunity, and I uh, that's that's something I'm curious about for you personally, right? Like, obviously, you've been you know uh, researching different conspiracies and scams and everything. What, what are some tools or like mental tools that you use to kind of question things or, you know, look at evidence and how do you avoid getting sucked in? Like, have you ever, maybe you've come across something and you're like, huh, maybe, maybe there's something behind this conspiracy. Like, what do you do personally to avoid going down that rabbit hole? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. And, and I'm not perfect. I've been sucked in by viral stuff that wasn't mm -hmm. true before. There was the thing going around last year of Trump giving some kind of speech uh, outside the White House, and it looked for all the world like he was standing in front of a green screen. Mm. And I tweeted something like, yeah, that's a green screen. And then <laughs> I actually had somebody who works on like rear projection stuff in the film industry reach out and say, no, that's actually not. Here's why. And I was like, oh, OK, I fell for something that wasn't true. Mm. I, I I fell for something because it looked like it could be true. Like it confirmed my biases yeah. about Trump and about artifice and all that stuff. So it, the, I think to me, it's like, I admit that I'm just as susceptible to it as everybody else. And, and in some ways I have to work even harder because of the work that I do mm. to not make mistakes. But I know that I'm going to, nobody, nobody is perfect with all of this. And there's so much nonsense and there's so much, fakery, especially in social media, that everybody falls for something and you mm -hmm. just have to admit it 
and correct it and make, not make the same mistake. But generally speaking, when I stumble on something, I try to ask myself if that dovetails with the way that we know the world works. You know, a lot of it, um, to use an example, is the idea of like Trump being indicted and going to prison. Mm-hmm. People really want that to be true. Yeah. But to me, at least, there are a number of reasons why that is not going to happen. And I try to stick to the, the, the world as we know it and the way things work, knowing that sometimes things happen that have no resemblance to the way the world works. I mean, you look at the pandemic. That's something that is totally outside the experience of every single living person. Mm-hmm. But, but you, you go with it and try to absorb it as it's going on, as our understanding of it changes, and you just do the best you can. And yeah. you, you let yourself off the hook for being perfect. And you just try to get through every day and make the fewest number of mistakes you can. Yeah, it, it's something something I've been thinking about, like, especially as as you were discussing, you know, the whole green screen uh, thing, like, it, it, it feels like sometimes we live in a world that's very unforgiving of people like we, we encourage people right to update your beliefs based on new evidence or new information right. But then I, I think a great example is with COVID and the, the anti vaxxers or people who are just, you know, just having problems with all the science behind COVID is well look, uh, they're the scientists their opinions change from February last year to April, you yeah. know what I mean so so not only is there like a difficult uh, aspect of like admitting when you're wrong, but like when you do admit you were wrong about something, you know that there's going to be some people who just like cling to it yeah. and hold on to it. Yeah. Um, so do you just kind of do you just kind of like let go of that and just know that that's going to happen, and you just kind of like do it from a, a place of integrity, or or what do you do to update yeah. your beliefs publicly? Yeah, I try to let go of it when when I have to change my opinion on something, and I and I try to do yeah, coming from a place of integrity, just like. I'm doing the best I can. And, mm-hmm. and I am also a human being and I'm going to make errors. Everybody does that. And you, you try to do it in a way that lets the people who follow, you know, Hey, I'm not perfect. I, you know, just because mm-hmm. I, I soak in this stuff all the time and I should recognize when something, you know, isn't true or has changed. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to every time. That's just mm-hmm. no, nobody's perfect. And that's, you know, you just have to let it go at, at some point and move on to the next thing because people are going to forget most yeah. of the time. Oh, the yeah, thing that sure. you kick around in your head is like, oh my God, how could I have made that mistake? People are going to forget it in a day. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you have to also. Yeah, absolutely. Something, something I personally do because uh, Daniel Kahneman is like, you know, the guy when it comes to, uh, you know, his his work on our biases and heuristics and stuff like that. And he's like, you know, said multiple times, like, he can't even avoid all these errors, even though he's the he's like the guy who studies it and stuff like that. Um so here's here's something that I'm curious about with talking about, you know, how how you kind of check information and go through your own process and everything like that. With with all the current media attention around UFOs, mm-hmm. I'm curious where where your stance on all this information is. Sure, and you know, I I haven't been keeping up with the the, the UFO explosion quite as much as because I've been so ensconced in book stuff. But mm-hmm. there are a couple of people who I who I follow on Twitter who really do keep up with it. And one of them is this guy, Mick West, who I yeah. talked to in the book. He wrote the Escaping the Rabbit Hole. Great guy. He knows mm-hmm. he knows UFO stuff up, down, left, right, and sideways. So when I see him 
tweet something about how, you know, no, it's not an alien ship changing direction. It's a camera artifact. It's a, you know, it's a heat signature. It's, yeah. you know, a warping effect, whatever it is. Because I trust him, I'm like, okay, I don't need to worry about that. This guy has it. Yeah. And I think for me, you because you can't be an expert in everything and things are developing so rapidly on so many different fronts, you find people whose expertise you feel like you can rely on mm-hmm. and it takes the burden off of you a little bit. You know, you, you build mm-hmm. up a community of, of people who you trust, you know, people in disinformation, people in you know, who research hoaxes and, and things like that. And you, you rely on those people. And it's one of the great things about writing this book and about doing this work is you really find a community of people who are all doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And people have each other's backs. People are supportive of each other. You know, I was able to ask questions of a lot of different people. People are able to ask me questions. And so you, you build that community and it, it lets you off the hook for knowing everything about everything because that'll just drive mm-hmm. you up the wall. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mick, Mick was actually one of the first guests on the podcast to discuss this gave you the rabbit hole. And yeah, like you said, like, I think, I think that's been one of the the biggest things that I've I've learned because I read so many books on so many different topics. And I'm like, I do not have the time to fact check everything and dive into the research. And I think, you know, like, like you're saying, you develop trust of certain people in the community or, or their expertise. And that's kind of the shortcut that we could take. And, and we were talking about integrity a minute ago too. Like I trusted someone like Mick West, if he screwed up or whatever, he would publicly discuss it, you know, so, so I can kind of just follow and trust that he's looking into that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that uh, when I was really getting started doing this, I wrote for the blog of the podcast Skeptoid, Mm -hmm. which uh, Brian Dunning runs. And Brian, every so often will release an episode that is nothing but corrections of errors in past episodes. And for me, that was like, first I was like, why is he admitting he's made all these (laughs) mistakes? But then to me, it's, it's, it's a transparency issue. It's saying, I, I, you know, I work on this stuff all day, every day, and I still make so many errors that I have to correct them in future episodes. And it's not because his work is sloppy. It's just because nobody can get it right all the time. And, mm-hmm. and that was, for me was like giving myself permission to make the occasional error, to not know everything, to not have read every single article and every single language about whatever topic I'm working on. That's mm-hmm. just not possible. You'll never, you'll never finish anything if that's how you approach your work. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to, to kind of continue on that topic, I, I don't, I haven't followed up with it much. And I, I'm not sure if you have, but do you think that people who do decide to leave QAnon are, you know, accepted with open arms? Or do you think they get a lot of pushback and stigma? You know what I mean? Like, do you think that might be something that blocks some of them from leaving? Um, I remember there was one woman, the, I think it was the woman who had that viral video in Target, like ripping yes. out the mask and stuff. Yeah, yes. and, and she's recently come out. And I, I don't even know if we have time to go into that. Like, I'm still on the fence of like, is she just someone who loves attention and stuff like that? But but do you think that people have this kind of like easy path towards leaving and acceptance from people allowing them to update their beliefs on this stuff? I think it's really hard. And I think it's one of the reasons why there's so few QAnon, you know, ex-QAnon believers who are willing to go on the record and and talk about it is because there is that stigma and there is Mm -hmm. that sense of embarrassment. But there are places like the the QAnon casualties subreddit where Mm -hmm. 
you can talk about all those things anonymously and it's a really, really supportive community. You know, I spend a lot of time there. Uh, I did a, a Reddit AMA there on the mm. publication day and it's just really warm and welcoming and, and that's hard to find in real life. I think because so few people really understand what it is that draws people to QAnon and that mm -hmm. it's not brainwashing. It's not like you become a disassociated zombie and you're totally somebody else. People get into these movements because they find something in them that speaks to them mm -hmm. and that they like and that makes them feel good. And unfortunately, that tends to overwhelm you and it pushes out all of the other, all the other things in your life that make you feel good. Mm -hmm. And so when you understand why these movements are so compelling, I think you do have more compassion for people who get out of them. And I think you do lose that kind of stigma of how, any, how can anybody believe in that crazy stuff? You, you understand, oh, people can easily believe in that crazy stuff. Anybody can believe in something mm -hmm. that is out of bounds or fringe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it, yeah, I think, I think that's really interesting too. I remember you mentioning that subreddit in, in the book and yeah it's good to have a place for people who who get it like again you know just just I, I, I relate, I try to, I try to relate to people all in all sorts of different situations when whatever way I can and it makes me think about my recovery again like a lot yeah. of people couldn't understand why a guy like me was doing what I was doing but then right. I get with that group I'm like oh okay and we can laugh and we could joke and say yeah sure. I, I was ridiculous back then and and yeah so I try to practice that empathy because you know um when when you dive into these stories of you know people who get sucked into the QAnon rabbit hole you find out as people who uh you know they're they're going through their own personal things like whether it's financially or you know with with covid we saw the numbers of QAnon members spike up and people were looking for answers in the sense of control and like we kind of we're kind of able to develop that empathy like you know what i mean yeah yeah and that's the thing is is we really need to be much more empathetic to people who are going through this and then not all of them i mean Look, yeah. <laughs> I don't have, I mean, I just want to get that out right now. Like, I don't have any empathy for the people who stormed the Capitol. Mm. I don't have empathy for the guy who, you know, got in his armored truck and, um, you know, had a domestic terrorism situation outside Hoover Dam, yeah. which I write about in the book. You know, you, you don't have to have empathy for everybody going through this, and nor should you. But the, the rank and file Q Anon believer really is somebody who is looking at a world that is really being rewritten in front of them. You know, this idea of, of cancel culture, I think, mm -hmm. has caught on so much because we're a lot of people are looking at their traditions and the way they grew up and the things they learned as a child and are being told, no, that's wrong. And it was always wrong. And you were mm -hmm. always wrong for believing it. And I don't think that's helpful at all. And I yeah. think one, one of the things that we can realize is that the way we look at the world changes and it evolves, but, but we, can, we can do it in a way that's productive and helpful. And I mm -hmm. think we can look at people's belief in conspiracy theories in a way that is productive and helpful rather than mocking and, or, or debunking, because that, that stuff doesn't really work with conspiracy theories. You can't oh, yeah. fact check somebody out of QAnon because they, they have their own facts. Their facts mm -hmm. mean more to them than, than the truth does. So yeah. what I really wanted to do is just sort of have a little bit of sympathy and, and just sort of good feelings for the people who are caught up in this 
and and realizing that they got caught up in this because they were looking for something that explained the world to them and mm -hmm. made it okay for this rising tide of progressivism to be changing things for them. Mm -hmm. And you you know you can be dismissive of those people, and and I get it. But at the same time, it maybe understanding why can help bridge some of the divide we've got going on here, rather than just making it worse. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, you bring up a, a, a great point about you know, just throwing facts at people. Like I'm always trying to learn and understand and, uh, uh, you know, what's the best way to have conversations and stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, for example, like if you go up to a smoker and you, and you say, Hey, do you know, smoking's bad for you? Of course they know that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's not going to get them to stop, right. you know? Yeah. So how do we have better conversations? And, right. and, so going, going back into like trying to understand and get inside the mind and everything like that, something that comes up, like, like, for example, uh, yesterday you, you retweeted, what was it? Right wing watch. They, uh, they, they temporarily got banned yeah. on YouTube. Well, I, I had a YouTube strike when I was debunking QAnon COVID conspiracies Yeah, and something that, uh, I see come up a lot in the community is quote, I think you, I think you touched on this in the book is quote, do your research, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So can you help us get into the mind and understand like what, cause, cause when I hear do your research, I hear, uh -huh. you know, facts and evidence and things like yeah. that, but yeah. it seems like it has an alternate meaning uh, to those, to people in that group. Can you, can you kind of explain that and what you've kind of discovered as you've done your research? <laughs> into yeah. This? Yeah. yeah. It, it's, and it's sad because that even just that word research has now been sort of tarred with this definition of reading things on the internet is research. Um, whether mm -hmm. it's far right stuff, whether it's far left stuff, whether it's stuff that's true, whether it's stuff that's relevant, this idea of, well, I researched it means I read it on Wikipedia or I read it on Breitbart, you mm -hmm. know? And, and research to me is not about reading stuff and it's not even about connecting stuff. It's about understanding and it's about mm. understanding what matters in a story and what, what really has influence on people. You know, you can, you know, these like people who do like hundred tweet threads about some subject, like I, I get completely lost in that and I stop reading because yeah. it's just fact after fact, after fact, after fact. And it's not, why does this matter? Why, mm. why is it all fit together? What does it mean? You know, it's just about, well, here's a bunch of things. <clears throat> and, and to me, a bunch of things is like a dictionary definition. Yeah. So for me, researching is trying to get down to the very basics of something, trying to get down to the primary sources, trying to figure out where something came from, why it caught on, what about it spoke to people, what answer it provided to the people who picked up on it. And I think even if you just go that next layer beneath just I found a bunch of things online and I'm going to put them in a Twitter thread. Mm -hmm. You're going to serve yourself so much better because you're going to understand what really matters and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, one of the, one of the thinking errors that a lot of us get caught up in is, you know, uh, the quantity of people who believe in something yeah. means this, you know, so people will say, well, look how many views this YouTube video has, or look how many likes this uh, tweet has. But it's like, if you get a bunch of people who believe the wrong thing, 
you know, like, like you can get a bunch of people uh, who believe in the flat earth. That doesn't right. mean. <laughs> so, right. so yeah, I think it's important to, to kind of dig deeper and something that you discuss quite a bit in the book too, is the social media platforms. And, and here's where I'm always torn because, you know, I'm all about sharing different ideas and you shouldn't limit speech and all that kind of stuff. But as we, as we discussed, like there are people who stormed the Capitol, who burned down 5G towers, who did these yeah. things like, so this is a kind of a two-part question, but where do you think social media platforms screwed up with all this QAnon stuff? And what do you think that they can do better? Sure. And, and I do think we're all, you know, we all want sort of to be able to say anything we want, but at the same time, I think we have to recognize that when you have a platform that allows unfettered speech where anybody can say anything, it almost immediately devolves into racism and misogyny <laughs> and homophobia. Like yeah. that's just, that's just the way these things work. Like any unfettered speech board is immediately going to become a cesspool. Mm -hmm. So there has to be somebody in control of it. There has to be somebody saying, we allow this and we don't allow that. And, and I, I have absolutely no problem with major social media companies enforcing their own terms. Like if you don't like it, go somewhere else. That's, I mean, I, I don't really have a libertarian streak, but maybe that's the <laughs> one libertarian part of me is like, if you don't like the rules here, go somewhere else. You don't have to be on Facebook. You don't have to be on YouTube. Mm -hmm. But I, I think where the social media platforms really messed up, definitely with QAnon, was first of all, not taking it seriously, which was mm -hmm. a lot of people, but also not wanting to appear like they were overly heavy handed with moderation. I know the Washington Post did a, a great story that came out right as I was finishing up the book and I had to go back and rewrite some stuff because I really wanted to get this story in there mm -hmm. about Facebook kind of changing its rules for Alex Jones mm. to not ban him because they didn't want to appear like they were censoring conservatives. Yeah. Well, sometimes you need to just enforce your own rules. Like it's not about the way it looks, it's about the way it is. And there are no platforms that are better for having Alex Jones on them. I'm sorry. I mean, that's just, maybe that, maybe you think <laughs> I'm an advocate of censorship because of that. Well, you know what? Some people should be deplatformed. Deplatforming works. It gets bad actors out of the system. And, and, and no one is saying these people can't say these things. You mm -hmm. can't, you just can't say it here. You can say it somewhere else. It's just wherever that other place is has a much smaller audience. Yeah. So I, I think where these, these places messed up is just not acting fast enough. And, and the idea that it took over three years for Facebook and Twitter and YouTube to finally take QAnon seriously after you'd had murders, after you'd had domestic terrorism, after, after you had organized harassment of journalists and progressive leaning celebrities. Mm -hmm. it, it's just absolutely mind boggling that the thing it finally took was the capital insurrection to get these companies <laughs> to go, oh, maybe we need to take this seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always get confused to like, uh, I, I, I see the, the slippery slope argument a lot, right? Like, oh, well, if we, you know, deplatform Alex Jones, then, you know, they're going to start deplatforming, you know, uh, progressives who uh, share that, talk about the news and, you know, and, and talk about war in a critical way and things like that. I'm like, yeah, but we don't have evidence of that yet. Right. right? Like there's, there's a big difference between, you know, accusing 
uh, uh, you know, uh, Hollywood elites and, uh, of sex trafficking children and, you know, talking about these political issues that you can like go and really like find evidence, you know, and things like that. So like me personally, yeah, I, I, I do think that there should be some stricter rules and some hard lines and they should have been, you know, uh, acted upon like far sooner. Like, do you, do you really, do you think, do you think like uh, with like Twitter or Facebook where they do this kind of like, uh, like, Twitter just started birdwatch with its like community fact checking or yeah. uh, Facebook. Like, do you think that helps at all? Because in my, in my mind, I'm just like, Oh, a, you know, a conspiracy theorist sees this and just think that, you know, uh, the Silicon Valley elites are just trying to censor them. You know what I mean? So do you yeah. think that even helps? No, I don't think it helps at all. I mean, <laughs> I, I understand why they do it, but any, any sort of community platform for sniffing out disinformation is immediately going to get brigaded by bad actors. I mean, that's the way they do it. And they don't even hide it. I mean, you go to some of these other places and they they talk about how they're gonna how they're gonna work this, how they're gonna work the refs, you know? Yeah. It's it it it's I get it, and they're looking for some way to stem the tide of garbage on their platforms, but that's not the way to do it. But and and at the same time, like banning right-wing watch is not the way to do it either. And I'm glad they reversed that. I mean, it was clearly a mistake. Yeah. And, you know, you have to you have to let people do this and make judgments. But at the same time, you know, we've seen the story of the content moderators on these sites who are just overwhelmed with horror yeah. at the absolute you know, depravity that they have to watch. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't know how you how you not have that stuff on a major platform without having some person there to make the call of getting rid of it. I mean, that's just that's just not a question that I have an answer to. Yeah, it's it's really difficult. I I had uh, uh, about a month or two ago, I had Jillian York on here. She's like social media activist and stuff. And we and we discussed this like, like as a YouTube content creator, um, when they took down my video, debunking QAnon COVID conspiracy theories, like I got it. Like they have like thousands of hours yeah. uploaded every minute. Yeah. Algorithms are doing some things, and then you have like a second check of like humans, and and yeah, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. Like I think not only do we have to give them a little bit more leeway and wiggle room, like we need to have some understanding on our end, but they, these platforms also need to understand on our end as well when people are trying to put out the correct information yeah. and it's getting flagged in the same way because because even when you get to a human, uh, per, like uh, a real person who reviews it, they have these very automated responses right. and you could tell that they didn't even check it and yeah even with right wing watch yesterday um my personal experience too is unless there's a ton a ton of media attention on it you know you it might not ever get reversed and that's yeah. something that i think is is a major issue you know what i yeah. mean yeah um so i got a few more questions for you sure. and so here's what i'm wondering and i don't know if it's because of like the bubbles that I'm in, but do you think that QAnon is still a major problem? Like we just talked about how social media platforms took action. It took the insurrection, but they did take action. You know, Trump's banned, a lot of QAnon was kind of revolving around Trump and he's gonna be the savior and everything like that. And I don't see it as much, but I don't know because, you know, people argue that you're just pushing them underground. So from, from what you've seen in the last four or five months, does it look like it's less of a problem or has it just moved somewhere else? I think, I think it is definitely more of a problem, but it's also a different problem. You know, the, the QAnon that we've kind of 
come to understand from end of October 2017 up until inauguration day, you know, the QAnon that is the bulk of the book, that feels like it's over. You know, there's no, there hasn't been a Q drop in, in over six months now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's no, there's not going to be mass arrests. Uh, that prophecy has failed. You know, Joe Biden is the president now. He is presumably not going to arrest the deep state that he is part of. You know, I think we can safely say that that is done. The problem mm-hmm. is the movement that grew around that is not done. They're, they still want this to happen. They still want their enemies brought to justice. Mm. It's just that what they've decided is going to happen has changed. It's not that Trump is going to unleash the mass arrests. Now it's Trump is going to be restored to office. Yeah. And the, the, you know, they have not been able to accept that Biden won the election because Trump has not accepted that Biden won the election. And, and nobody ever really thought he was going to. You know, that Trump for over a year and Q for over a year pounded this drumbeat that Joe Biden was decrepit, was senile, was barely <laughs> alive, was incapable of getting, you know, five people to a, a, a Wendy's in, you know, in wherever. And, you know, Donald Trump's having 50,000 people at these rallies and boat parades yeah. and truck parades. And how could he possibly lose? America loves him. And the only way that he could lose was if the election was fraudulent. And and then Biden won. And so the election was fraudulent. Mm-hmm. So everything that happened leading up to not just January 6th, but QAnon after the inauguration, that was all laid out. That None of that came out of nowhere. All of mm-hmm. that was was laid out brick by brick by brick, and everybody knew where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. But now these people are absolutely convinced that everything that's happened since the inauguration is just an, an elaborate ruse to sniff out the gigantic amounts of fraud <laughs> that propelled Biden into office. And so these audits are now the focus of the QAnon movement and everything is riding in Maricopa County because that's going to invalidate yeah. Arizona and that's going to be the first domino that kicks over another state and another state and then Trump's going to be reinstated into office. Never mind that none of that is possible. Yeah. This, is the, this is the world that they've created and they don't want to leave it yet. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, we have to still deal with them being in that world, still following a Trump prophecy. It's just a slightly different prophecy. Yeah. It's oh man. Yeah. I could, I could keep you here all day. Cause that just opened up like 50 million questions. For me, <laughs> but I, I promise only a few more. Like, okay. so, so, so here's another question and I'm just curious your opinion on it. What do you think about people with influence and power who feed into this? And it's, I know it's tricky too, because for example, first person who comes off the top of my head is like Marjorie Taylor Greene, yeah. right? Who has openly, you know, spread QAnon conspiracies, but her and people like Donald Trump, they won't say like, I am a QAnon believer, right? So they walk this really fine line where they have like plausible deniability. But like, when it comes to people of power and influence, like, what are, what are your thoughts on you know, should there be any re- uh, repercussions for spreading this kind of information or feeding into that? Because for them, it might just be politics and having, you know, their own following like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of you guys. But I don't know. Do you think that that, you know, that we should have those types of people like in politics and in elected office? Well, I definitely uh, I, I don't think there should be QAnon believers in, in public office, except, of course, there are. 
And I think with a lot of them, it's not so much that they believe and understand the, the you know, intricacies of the mythology of QAnon. I think it's, hey, I've got a lot of constituents and potential voters who believe this stuff, uh, and I can't push those people away. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not going to embrace it you know, wholeheartedly. I mean, even Marjorie Taylor Greene kind of walked back from it. She was like, I don't, you know, I don't believe that. I thought something that's real for me. I just, I just ask questions and blah, 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 blah. I mean, she's, she is a troll of of the highest order. I mean, (laughs) I mean, it's, she governs by trolling because that's what Trump did. He governed by trolling. It wasn't about understanding things. It was just about getting people to talk about you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think with a lot of these people, there wasn't the, the courage to say, you know, we can have disagreements about policy, but we can agree that there is not a pedophile cabal running the world. Mm-hmm. But you Republicans would be asked about this and they go, well, you know, I, I don't know anything about it. You know, I, that's not something I, I'm involved in. But, you know, we respect the beliefs of everybody because they can't lose votes. They yeah. can't have those people turn away from them to embrace an even more conservative challenger in a primary. That's what these people are afraid of. They're afraid of being primary. They're mm-hmm. afraid of somebody rising up and grabbing a hold of the lunatic fringe of their party. And so they've allowed the lunatic fringe to become the party. Mm-hmm. And now you have these ideas that are completely enmeshed in mainstream conservatism, this idea of the deep state, this idea of the election being stolen. And, you know, maybe Biden's not really the president. You know, they won't say yes or no. And sometimes even by just not saying no, you're saying yes. Yeah. Yeah, especially with people trying to like read in between the lines, you know, like we were talking earlier about the vague uh, predictions from the Q drops and things like that. And so you have a section of the book where you talk about kind of the profit incentives behind QAnon and things like that. And I think that's a, you know, there's a a great segue into that. Like, so you, you have, you know, politicians who are realizing, you know, some of the people who might vote for me, like if I could pander to them, right? And you know, something that I always try to do when I'm looking at information, I'm like, is there is there any possible like motivative reasoning? Is there any incentive behind this person, you know, uh, tweeting this or sharing this article or publishing this? So when it comes to the money aspect, like when I made my video that got uh, a strike from YouTube, I was talking about, I think you mentioned him in the book, Jordan Sather. Yeah, um, yeah it, I, was, I was debunking one of his videos and I don't know. So I, I'm, I'm curious your perspective. How many of these people do you think, like, do you think there's some of these people who are only doing it because they're like, oh, wow, this is paying my bills and, and they don't actually believe it? Or like, how many people do you think that are these influencers making their living off of this that, you know, they, they legitimately do believe it? Do you think there's like a mix of the two or what are your thoughts on that? I think most believe it. And that's one of the questions I really wanted to answer in the book. And I knew that I wasn't going to get a straight answer from any of the actual <laughs> non-promoters because nobody's going to say like, oh yeah, no, this is all a con. Like I don't believe any of it. Um, mm-hmm. And if they tell me that, like I'm not going to believe them anyway. But you can tell in their sort of pre-QAnon social media what's left of it. Mm. And I, you know, I, you can tell in the kind of the interactions that they have with people in their lives that they really do believe this. This is really meaningful to them. And it's a, it's an expression of the way that they see the world. Now, I, I think like for somebody like Sather, like I have no idea what this guy believes and what he doesn't believe. And it doesn't really matter. You know, whatever is in his heart, 
can't be known by anybody but him. It's the same with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you look at somebody like Michael Flynn, who is seen by the, the QAnon movement as this sort of God figure. And, you know, there are people who think that he's pulling the strings behind it and he, he either is Q or he helped develop Q. And for me, it's like, what are his motivations? Well, his motivations are money the same way a lot of the motivations of these other people are. He's also a guy who's really prone to conspiracy theories. And we, yeah. we knew that from well before Trump took office, Michael Flynn like lived out on his own world of, of, of what, what, whatever was going on. So you find somebody who's already prone to conspiracy theories, who's already prone to these kind of hate-driven movements, and then they find a way to make money off of it. Yeah. Like that's combining everything that matters to these people. And even if they didn't wholeheartedly believe it at first, you come to believe it. You, you sort of, you can't separate it after a while. It just becomes your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, 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 I think you're absolutely right. It's the, the financial aspect is almost just like the icing on the cake, you know, especially during this time, like uh, where, where you could pretty much become an entrepreneur for anything or a content creator. It's like, Oh, I could talk about the things I like, you know, like look at the multi-billion dollar gaming industry. Like people get paid to do the thing that they like now. And now people yeah. are getting paid to just talk about the news they come across and their opinions, their beliefs and, and all that stuff. So um, okay, here's here's my final question for you. Okay. So uh I have you seen did you watch the HBO docu docuseries into the story? Yes, I did. Yes. God. In fact, uh Colin interviewed me for it mm. um a, quite a while ago. It didn't make the final cut. He told me uh, that the uh he'd had me in the first cut of the first episode, but uh he had to cut a half hour off it. So oh, I, 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 I get it. Yeah. But, <laughs> yes, I did I did see it. Yes. So, so he, he kind of ends it with, uh, you know, believing that Ron Watkins is Q. So two part of question, do you think Ron Watkins was Q and does it even matter who Q is at this point? Sure. Uh, I think Ron is probably as close as we're going to get to the person who did the majority of the drops, certainly on HN. I mean, it just, no other answer to me passes some really simple logical tests. Like, mm-hmm. why why would you go to the board that Ron Watkins runs? Like, why would he stay there? What you know, even even when Achan was down for months in the summer of 2019 and came back as Aitken, the first person who posted there was Q. And Ron mm-hmm. was asked about it. He was like, "Oh, I guess Q just tried really hard." Like, okay, <laughs> come on. Like really, like you're not trying. Come on, man. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, Ron's post-election tweets when he's going on and on about Dominion and fraud and all this stuff, they sound exactly like Q drops. I mean, it's like they, they have the same exact tone, they, they the same content, the same sort of rhetorical questions. It, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know 100% whether Ron is Q, and Ron, of course, continues to this day to deny that he has anything to do with it. But I think that's the simplest and cleanest answer, mm-hmm. but I don't think it matters. You know, yeah. I, I think that especially now because there are no more Q drops and, and I don't imagine we're gonna get any more. It, you know, it, it's just, it's not something that really matters to the people who believe this. You know, people don't go to church and debate who wrote the Bible. Mm. You know, they, that's, they, they debate what's in the Bible, but they don't debate who wrote it. it it's not important. You know, it's, it's the words that are in it that matter. It's not whoever, yeah. uh, you know, sat down at the laptop and typed some crap into a box and hit post. That, that doesn't matter. 
it, it matters what people believe and what people get out of it. And they get a lot out of it. And that's the thing that we really need to understand. Yeah, no. Well said, sir. So, so yeah, so I, I, I've already read the book, but for everybody out there, a few things, where can they get the book? Uh, where can they find you? And are you working on anything cool that we should be staying tuned about? Sure. Uh, you can get the book anywhere. Um, <laughs> you just <laughs> Google the storm is upon us and you can, you know, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it on bookshop, you can get it directly through the publisher, you can get it through your local bookstore, uh, you can get it at Target. You, they uh, they have done a great job in getting this book out pretty much anywhere people can buy books. So yes, you can get an ebook, you can get an audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it is available however and wherever you want. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Rothschild M D R O T H S C H I L D M D. I am not a doctor; those are just initials. <laughs> And I'm working on uh, some things that uh, one of which we may be announcing soon. Uh, but right now, just my my job is basically the book. I mean, it really is kind of a yeah. full time job, just promoting it. Uh, and it's a very it's a job I'm very lucky to be able to do. I mean, it's it's amazing what I've mm-hmm. what I've the doors that have opened up because of this. But yes, you will be hearing more from me about new projects uh, sooner rather than later. Very cool. Awesome. And I'll have that all linked down in the description below. So thank you so much for your time, Mike. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike about his new book, Q, The Storm Is Upon Us. And make sure you check out the description down below. There is a link to his book. I actually listened to the audio version. As you all know, I'm an audio listener. Uh, So it is available on Audible as well. Or like Mike said, you can get the physical copy at bookstores or order it online and all that. So I will be linking that down in the description below. And make sure you're following Mike too. Mike is like really active on Twitter and keeping up with the news and things like that and you know doing some commentary and all that kind of stuff so make sure you're following him over on social media as well but i know that you will enjoy this book all right and while you're down there in the description make sure you're following me on social media at the rewired soul over on instagram and twitter i love chatting with all of you and i'm trying to get everybody more involved with uh questions that you want me to ask these authors on these different subjects that we cover or even if you have suggestions i get a lot of my book suggestions from all of you so make sure you're following me all right but uh as always too if uh you're not and if you're not then you don't know that it's as always but if you're not yet make sure you're following the podcast on uh spotify or apple or wherever you listen to this um if you're on apple make sure you uh rate the podcast and leave a review that really helps the podcast get out there we're only a couple months into this thing and as you know we we cover a lot of cool conversations like this one so uh i would really appreciate if you follow rate it review and share share the podcast over on social media share with people who want to demystify QAnon or learn about a bunch of cool subjects or you know anybody who's a nerd like we are and just wants to learn about all these interesting things all right and if you want to support the podcast anyways uh there's uh, a few links down in the description you can become a patron uh you can buy some of my books that i've written mainly on mental health over at therewiresoul.com and speaking of mental health there is also an affiliate link down below for better help online therapy uh mental health is a huge 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 part of my life 
BetterHelp is a service that I've personally used. I highly recommend it because it's not only affordable, but you can use it from the comfort of your own home. All right, so if you're interested, check out that affiliate link. And any way that you support the podcast, it helps feed my book addiction so I can keep creating cool content like this. All right, but anyways, thank you so much for listening to this. Thanks again to Mike. Make sure you check out his book, and I will talk to you all real soon in the next episode.